Amen. Now, I thought I'd be a wee bit self-indulgent this morning and show you some lovely pictures of last weekend because not all of you managed to make it, but Lawn Abbey is a beautiful place. Isn't that right, Jean? It's great. And, and Richard, Ian and Janice. Um, and I just wanted to show you some of the, the colours um, of, of Lawn Abbey. Lawn Abbey is in Leicestershire, and one of the things when you pull off the A47, you see the stone is different. Um, the A47 is quite a big road if you know it. It's quite an attractive road. We don't go on that road very often. It kind of goes up to Leicester. Leicester is one of these places close to us, but it doesn't feel, it feels a wee bit further away. It's great, you know, Lawn Debbie in that sense. It's close and yet it's far enough away to be different. It feels like an other kind of place to be going to. Forgive me if you go to Leicester all the time. I obviously don't get out enough. Um, but you leave the main road, A47, and you start taking smaller roads and things change and there's hills and there's trees. And so mainly these pictures are of, this is Lawn Abbey, this is the, the Abbey, the house itself that was from 1189 it was first established. Um, you'll see they've also got stable areas, but you can see how it's set in a bowl. Uh, you arrive and you see before you look down and there is the Abbey, there is the house you're staying in, surrounded by sheep and in these grounds. And uh, yeah, even more sheep this time than ever seen before. Um, it was great to be there, however, at this time in autumn, and the colours of autumn were just beautiful, really stunning. Um, and it's one of those places you go to, and you come away and thinking, God, my house is in such a state. You know, I know my mum's coming this week, and I've got one or two things I'm going to try and quickly do to tidy it up. But it was the attention to the place, and the order, and the beauty and the simplicity that strikes you. You know what I mean? It's one of those places you go and you, it just looks so uncluttered, so clean, so sharp, so beautiful, whether it be inside or outside. Here are some of the, the baskets that they had and they were caring for. And just the colors at that time of year, it was, it was beautiful, really, really beautiful. There's the, there's the stables that if, we, if you all come next year, we might have to use um, because it's a, a bigger area. But again, you can see it's set in a bowl and just the colours of autumn were just exquisite. But it's more than that. It was the light of autumn that made it exquisite. And light makes all the difference in photography. Light makes all the difference in our lives. Shafts of light. Shadows different warmth of color that had been brought out by different lights. It was the light that made the difference. I rushed off with my camera and took these few pictures, but it was the light that weekend that made these pictures come alive for me. I hope for you also. It's this time of year, isn't it, that we suddenly notice, hey, it's getting a bit darker a bit earlier. Um, go on, I'm putting the light on. You know, is it half past five, six o'clock? Car will be in now. If you, if you come back for tea, well, but it's getting dark, isn't it? You're going to be back before it's dark. And we notice the turning of the year and the light um, getting less in the evenings and in the mornings. And it gets harder to get up in the mornings and these kind of things as the light gets less. One of the things I think of when we think of that is so, so easily we switch on lights, don't we? automatically we switch on electric lights. And I think we live so much presuming upon electric light. 
Do you remember the times of turning on gas lamps? Of kerosene lamps? The job to do that? Where are the matches? Oh, we, you know, we've got trouble in the church trying to find where the matches are. Every time, get it. Oh, you've run out of them. Oh, you've failed a few times. And getting that wick sorted, getting up too much, too little, trimming it, keeping it right. And then the light. Certainly with kerosene light, the lights, when you're in darkness and you put that on, you just see the light almost going out from the kerosene lamp. You know that experience? Come on, you do. You know better than I do. But we used them a lot when we were in Kenya and in Congo. Just that experience of living in darkness. And again, many parts of the world live by natural light. And uh, I think probably notice more things and are more aware of, of living in half light or the shadows. Whereas we just switch on lights and we have electricity. we turn to our passage in John's Gospel, we read almost straight away Janice has Jesus making this beautiful and bold declaration where he says, I am the light of the world. The abruptness with which he says this is really striking and in many ways Maybe it it, it fits better if you put it next to the discussion he's having with the Pharisees at the end of chapter 7. Maybe that's the better place. Because as you'll see back in that passage that Janice read to us, it is about a dispute with the Pharisees. But part of the reason it's a dispute is because Jesus says, I am the light of the world. A beautiful figure of speech. And yet... People down the centuries have been so attracted by that analogy, that image of light, that they've built on it in a way that is inappropriate. So I want this morning to tell you a little bit about Mani and Manichaeism, if I may. Indeed. That was the belief there was a a spiritual world of light and a material world of darkness. That was their belief. A spiritual world of light and a material world of darkness. Many people in ancient religions used to worship the sun in the same kind of idea, so attracted by, by the growth, by the hope, by the, the light that, that is given. And so Manichaeists believed in these two separate worlds. And for them, these worlds were of equal force. And as human beings, we were simply the battleground for this cosmic struggle. Now I wondered when I read John this morning again, if John, if you could accuse him maybe of being a bit like that. Look at Jesus saying this, you are from, verse 23, you are from below, I am from above. You are from this world, I am not of this world. Sometimes it's attractive to think that the spiritual realm is clearly divided from the material, physical world. And these songs that we sing, they're beautiful, but their beautifulness is because they come from another world. But this is not Christian thinking. This is not Christian thinking. So, Manichaeism, which thinking it was, was a major Gnostic religion of the third century. It started from Babylonia, uh, but People were so attracted to this idea of light and dark and making the light into something um, 
aspirational, something special, that this religion at that time, up until the 14th century, was a major religion. It went as far as China and into the Roman Empire, as far west as the Roman Empire. Many people were attracted to this idea. And Manny was a prophet who himself thought the teachings of Jesus were incomplete. Jesus and Manichaeism was the supreme revealer and guide. And it was he who woke Adam from his slumber and revealed to him the divine origins of his soul and its painful captivity to the body. Notice the dualism that comes in again between the soul and the body. Manichaeus believed that Jesus never experienced human birth as such physical birth would fill them with horror. Uh, And they didn't believe either in the virgin birth. That was equally not possible. Jesus was truly born at the moment of his baptism when the Father shone upon him and openly acknowledged his sonship. Again, that could be attractive to you. Some people look at that part in John's Gospel and say, ah, from then on he knew who he was. He is given his identity. The body is filled with a divine soul. And you have the Father saying from heaven, Behold, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And yet Christianity says, No, we'll opt for the messier, more incomplete answer. Because we believe that Jesus is fully human. The the messiness of birth, yes, he was human from that point. Interestingly, as I said, this was such a religion for many centuries that Augustine, one of the famous Christian saints, was a Manichaeist for a long time, or a Manichae, don't know what you want to call him. A Manichae. Augustine himself was one of these followers. For nine or ten years of his life, he was like that. He was only converted in 387. But he did point out, he, didn't, he couldn't accept this idea that God and Satan were of equal powers, and this view of Manichaeism denied the omnipotence, the all-powerfulness, all-mightiness of God. For Manichaeans, humanity, the world, and the soul are seen as the product of this battle. Interestingly, listen, Augustine criticized their view that knowledge was the key to salvation. He criticized that as being too passive and not able to effect any change in one's life. Knowledge was not the key to salvation. It was too passive for Augustine and was not able to effect any change in one's life. We want to find out more about God in terms of knowledge because of what Jesus reveals to us in Christ. As Christians, we believe that God was in Christ in every part of the incarnation, not just from his baptism. He needs to be fully human to be the second Adam. And Christians, we believe that Jesus' power to transform our lives, to shine the light of God's love in areas that need attending, and to help us change our character. So as Christians, we do not worship the light We worship God, the creator of light and darkness. God, the creator of light and darkness. The messiness again. Uh, Because there's a a line in the Proclaimer song, sorry, that um, just comes to me. um, And the light, it made him blind. Sometimes people have this idea that God's light shines and dazzles people to the point of 
zapping them and making them believe. What do you think of that? I don't see that as my understanding of Christ, the light of the world. Because I think that the light, as we saw at Lawn Abbey, I didn't just see the beauty of the sun, I saw the effect of the light in the colors of the world. In the different degrees of shadow, and the contrast, and the beauty of light and darkness. And as Christians, we recognize there is darkness in our world. And that God is a God of light and dark. I don't know if you know the story of Philip Toynbee, who um, in the 1970s, when he was reading something which said the whole of creation was dancing with eternal joy and God was the principal dancer, he wasn't happy with that. I don't know if he's got Presbyterian connections or whatever, but he, he wrote down in his journal, Alas, such rhapsodies are meaningless to me, worse than meaningless, self-indulgent falsification. Does the whole of creation dance in eternal joy? Does it? Well, ask the, mole, ask the mouse that's in the owl's talons. Ask the child dying alone after an earthquake. We do not want to see only a natural world prettified, shorn of pain and disfigurement, in which there's no room for blood or bone. If we fail to take the pain of creation seriously, we also fail to take the reality of God seriously. Interesting not quite sure what you make of that. Maybe just to simplify that, to say we don't just believe in a God of sunshine. If you look at the sun, you burn your eyes. We believe a God who is there even when the sun's behind the clouds in our lives. We believe that Jesus reveals to us the Father and shows us how to see, to see what's around us in our lives in a new way. God opens our eyes, doesn't dazzle us, but opens our eyes to see more vividly, to see with a new perspective. I've said this before, but I remember when I was 15 and I, I kind of finally gave in to my mother and said, yeah, okay, I'll go and see if I need some glasses. Uh, it was my math teacher who was kind of like having me from the back of the class, the middle of the class, and finally I sat at the front of the class because I, I was peering, you know. Classic stuff. Yes, I did need. And I remember getting those first set of glasses. I was just, we're talking about glasses. I remember those first set of glasses going on my face and looking out the window and thinking, my goodness me. Do you mean you can really see somebody over in the square? I can, you know, I, I know who that is. I didn't think you could do that. I didn't think, I thought everybody had this, there's a blob over there. It's, it's probably a human being. When I put these glasses on, I could see the person. I could, I, I could see much further than before. I could see in more detail. I could see the colors, the vividness of that. Wow. I, was, I, wasn't, I knew there was an issue at that age, but I remember being stunned by just the difference it made to what I saw of the world. As Christians, we don't believe in Christ who will dazzle us, but God's the Spirit of Jesus who opens our eyes to reveal the colors of the world, to see the perspectives of the world, to see more carefully all the detail of our lives and, and what's going on. And as Christians, we have this lovely phrase that we used a couple of weeks ago in our services of baptism, isn't it? We say right at the end, we hand them the candle, live your life in the light of Christ. Walk all your days in the light of Christ. 
It's a lovely phrase, isn't it? Not in the light of television. <laughs> so sometimes that burns quite brightly. Walk all your days in the light of Christ. What might that mean? Someone suggested it's like God's gaze upon us. The gaze of the father on his child. Darkness, lots of darkness in these pictures. And again, a time of before electric light, that was the way it was. The gaze of the father on the son. A gaze of love, a gaze of light. A shaft of light penetrating my defenses to enlighten me in order to see what is real and what is not. It's interesting that same chapter that Jesus goes on to say, the truth will set you free. It's, I think it's pretty closely linked to this idea of Jesus being the light, the revealer. And so Jesus brings to light things that we had not seen before. But also, as in this picture, the loving look of the Father, to live our lives in the light of Christ, is what we say. Here's another picture, because this goes back to where our passage is at in chapter 8. There's a dispute, because Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Why was that so contentious? For many reasons, but particularly, it brought resonance to his hearers back to Isaiah, where Israel is talked of as the light to the nations. And so, Jesus is saying, pointing to himself as the Messiah in this passage. To his hearers, this is an anathema, because it's Israel, not Jesus, that is the light of the world. You can't have both. You can't have two lights. You've got to have one or the other that is the light of the world. And so, that is why there is so much dispute in this, at the end of this, this passage. But isn't this a, this is Jesus before Caiaphas, I think. Again, look at the darkness, the gloominess all around. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The light shining on Christ. He's reflected in that light. And that light stands at the center of the picture. It's that that's the right at the center, isn't it? He stands serenely. He stands majestically, accused but yet in control. That peace and shining, facing the accusations of others. In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Light makes such a difference to our lives. Let us live our lives in the light of Christ. Not a dazzling light, but a light that reveals to us the realities of our lives. The things that need attending to. The dark places where God is already, but invites us 
to bring to him so that he might transform these things from pain and hurt into something of his glory. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the beauty of the world around. God, we thank you for the, when the light fades and that sense of, of beauty that is in the half-light. God, we thank you that you are God of darkness and of light. And we pray this morning for people who feel they're living their lives in darkness or those who feel they're living only in half-light. God, would you reveal your love and your comfort to them? Not to dazzle them, but to reveal to them your love and your perspective. Holy Father, at the beginning you said, let there be light, and there was light. Yours is the light of every day since then, so we praise you. Holy Son, you are the light of the world. No follower of yours will walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so we praise you. Holy Spirit, you came to the first disciples with power like tongues of fire. Yours is the courage that supports us now. So we praise you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God to endless ages, renew your light in our lives. Scatter the shadows of evil and kindle your flame of love amongst us. Amen.